All right. Pull out your program, and inside your program is an outline that says questions. And today we're going to address the oldest problem known to mankind. And everyone thinks it is what? Sin, but it isn't. Because before sin, there was temptation, right? Temptation is not sin. Sin is the result of temptation that you followed, that a person has followed through. And so we've been in a series through the summer, we'll continue um, through the series um, called Questions. And so several months ago, I started asking, you know, to share questions that you have for Pastor Dan to try to format a, a message to, uh, to it, and I uh, was able to do that. Some of the questions were a little too involved, and I didn't think I could do it in a half hour, 40 minutes. And this is one of the questions that uh, I got, and that is, why do I continue to fall into the same problems over and over and over again? All right? And what's interesting is, I think in order to overcome temptation, you've got to understand the sequence of how it works. Okay? There's actually a sequence in the Scripture that teaches us about how temptation works in our life and why we fall into the problems or into temptation and ultimately into sin and why we kind of keep recycling over and over and over again. All right? The next week we're going to look at problems. Um, I oftentimes get, well, God, does God really want me to stay in this problem or have this problem? Doesn't he want to deliver me from it? And the answer to that sometimes is no, he doesn't. He actually wants you to stay there. And then in the next week, we're going to look at happiness, the theology of happiness. And that is, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a bazillion times, but God just wants me to be happy. All right? And then they talk about what they're doing and how God wants them to be happy. And so, uh, good questions coming down the road here in the next couple, month, uh, couple weeks. All right? So go ahead and pull out your outline. At the very top of your outline is John, uh, James rather, chapter 1, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chap, uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, some scripture as James lays out in sequence uh, how temptation works in our life. And so at the very top, we have verse 12. We're going to start out in verse 12, and here's what it says. Blessed, and that means to find inner joy in your heart. Okay, So, so James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation... For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. And that means life itself or abundant life. All right. So he says you'll have profound inner joy. Inner joy in your life is the man who endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life or life itself, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And so here we have the oldest problem known to mankind in the area of temptation. And James comes along and he says, listen, you will have inner joy in your life when you experience temptation and you come out of it without falling into sin. You will have abundant life. Okay? And we're going to look because he ends with the opposite of life. He ends with death. All right? And so as he says here, as we get ready to go, he says, if you want that inner joy in your life and you want the abundant life in, in, in your spiritual walk, you are going to experience temptation. 
And the goal is to come out on the other side of temptation without crossing the line and lead, that leads you into sin. So then the question is, is, okay, well, how do you do that, James? I mean, we're all for that. None of us like to fall into sin, although, to be honest with you, and that's why we do it, sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't be doing it. And so there, it is fun for a time, right? And then it kicks back. If it was like a root canal with no medicine, none of us would be sinners. Would you agree with that? Right? So, so how do we do it, James? And so here's what he's going to tell us to do. Look with me in your outline. How to overcome temptation. Number one is to be realistic. Alright, you've got to be realistic when it comes to temptation. Verse 13. It says, when tempted. Alright, doesn't say if. But it says, when tempted. And here is a myth. Well, I've been a believer for a long time. And if you're a believer for a long time and you're really secure in your faith and you have a good grip of Scripture, you won't be tempted, right? Wrong. The truth is, you'll be tempted greater. So whether you're new in your walk with Christ or whether you're a seasoned veteran in your walk with Christ and truly you are mature, whether you're young in age or whether you're old in age in the sense of years, you are going to be tempted. Temptation is going to come your way and it's going to be customized specifically for you. And that's why when you talk to other people and they say, yeah, I have a struggle with, and you go, really? That's kind of weird. I don't have a struggle with that. Because it's customized specifically for you. Just as God knows our weakness, the enemy knows our weakness as well. And if he's going to try to get us to cross a line, he's going to work in an area of weakness. In uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. All right? So that verse means all of us when it comes to temptation, not the same kind of temptation, but all of us as sinners, we are all in the same boat when it comes to temptation. Every day that you wake up, you will be tempted in your life. So you might as well just be realistic about it and recognize that. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus, and he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weakness, but he has been tempted in every, which, every way which we were, yet without sin. All right? So just as, just as Christ was tempted, so are we going to be tempted on a regular basis. The second idea that, that, that James lays out is he says, to be responsible. Okay? To be responsible. <clears throat> the blame game goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I happen to think that blaming others is part of the sin nature. Okay, Because after sin, what was one of the first things that Adam and Eve did? Adam said, God, it's the woman. Right? And Eve said, it's the serpent. Right? And so the blame game goes all the way back into Genesis, and I think that it's connected to our sin nature. And we live, unfortunately, and I don't think it's a new thing. I think it's something that maybe with the the media and so forth, we hear more of it. But the reality is, from the beginning of time, everyone has been doing this. It's not me, right? If it wasn't for, you know, my whatever fill-in-the-blank 
I would not have had this struggle. It's not my problem. And we do not take responsibility. And this, the, the issue that I want to throw out to you is unless you own it, God is not going to give you the power to overcome it. Right? And so you have to own it. You've got to take responsibility and quit blaming everybody else and everything else and the culture and the society and if it wasn't for this and it wasn't for that. You, you have to just recognize temptation is common to man. Be realistic about it. We're sinners. We have a bent to sin. And when we do, we need to raise our hand and we need to own it. We don't need to pedal around and try to backpedal and backstep. We just need to, to own it in our life. Then number three is to be ready. Is to be ready. Okay. So we're going to be realistic. We're going to be responsible. And we're going to be ready. What's interesting about folks is <clears throat> just as we don't prepare for death, we don't prepare for temptation. Right? You talk to the average person. And I mean, as far as I know, everyone, unless the Lord returns and takes His church out of here, we're all out of here the same way. Right? And yet, and this is for all of us, not just for folks who are older, yet I work with families all the time. They have no, they've done no preparation in the area of funerals, you know, any of that stuff. Not at all. And you scratch your head and you go, well, why? I mean, death isn't new. <laughs> I mean, it didn't just start like happening like a week and a half ago. Right? So we don't prepare for it. And then temptation isn't new. And everyone's going to be tempted. And yet when you ask a believer, what are you doing to resist or to overcome the temptation? They look at you, deer in the headlights. It's like, I have no idea. And yet we're, we're called to be ready. How are you going to be ready if you're not prepared and you don't understand the sequence in which it takes place? Peter writes in, first, in 2 Peter. He says, therefore, dear friends, since you uh, already know this, right? Just as there's death, there's temptation, be on guard. Jesus says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. James goes on in verse 14 and he says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed, verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. So it's going to happen. It's going to take place in our life. So how do we recognize it and how do we prepare for it in our life? So look with me as James lays out again in sequence, one, two, three. Uh, he goes and he lays it out. Step number one in how temptation works. And this is so crucial. And this is... For all of us, your temptation may be different, but the sequence in which it works is always the same. And the very first one is step number one is it starts with your desire and, in, in it's, in, and it begins to work in the area of your emotions in your life. Okay? It's the desires, it's that inner uh, emotions that you have in your life. Verse 14 says, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. All right, now look right below. Temptation is using our God-given desires in a God-forbidden way. Okay? So here's when James says, in your own evil desires, because there's a big pushback. It's like, well, wait a minute. 
I don't have evil desires. Well, here's how it works. All of us have desires. God has placed in us desires. You have a desire to eat, right? You have a desire to drink. You have a desire to sleep. You have a desire for intimacy. You have a desire to be loved. You have the desire to love someone else. And so we all have these God-given desires that work inside of us. And what the enemy is going to do is he's going to take our God-given desires and he is going to turn it to a God-forbidden way. Okay? So, you have the desire to be loved. Well, the Scripture gives us a context in which that is to take place. And when we step out of that context in the idea of a marriage, and we step out of it and we go outside of it, then we are taking a desire that God has given us, and we're heading in a wrong direction, and we've taken a God-given desire and we're using it in a God-forbidden way. And so all temptation, all temptation starts out with this inner desire that you have in your life. It's kind of this compelling uh, desire in your life, but you lose the boundaries in which God has placed them for you. And you step out of the boundaries of where He's placed them. Okay, so people will say, well, I just need to rest. You know, I got to have peace in my life. And so they go out and they find illegal drugs. They find legal drugs. They find alcohol to somehow give them peace at night. We all have a desire to have rest in our soul. But we've taken it, a desire, and we've, we've jumped off the rail and we've taken it in a wrong direction. Okay? If you analyze the, your temptation in your life, I can assure you that every temptation comes from a God-given desire, but it's done in a God-forbidden way. Okay, You got that? Step two is deception. Okay, Deception. It works in our emotions, and the enemy comes, and he begins to deceive us, and we begin to rationalize and we begin to justify our soon, we're not there yet, our soon behavior. Okay, And this is where a person sits, and when you talk to them, they haven't crossed the line yet. But in their mind, they're saying, I deserve it, I need it, I want it, it's going to make me happy. right? And they begin to play in their mind to rationalize and justify their soon behavior when you're at this place in the area of temptation you are in a bad place because when your mind starts justifying rationalizing someone comes into your life and says hey man you got to step back from the edge dude you're going to go crashing down they've already thought through what they're going to say in many cases They've already played out what they're going to say if they get caught and how they're going to spin it and what they're going to say and the reason why and all this other stuff. They are that far down the road to the sinful behavior. Okay, Look with me. Verse 14. He says, He is dragged away and he is enticed. And it's two sporting terms. 
One is dragged away, means to be snared in a trap. And enticed is a fishing term. It means to be lured by bait. All right? So at this point, the inner desire, the desire to be, you know, love, whatever it is, that desire is working. The enemy is coming in and he is going to deceive our mind to think that what we, what we want is really what we need and we begin to rationalize and we begin to justify and we begin to say, well, you know what, I deserve, I need, and this is going to be the best thing in the, that I need, need in my life. And we begin to rationalize and justify and you are a very short distance away from going over the edge. Okay. Number three is the design. The design. So you have the desire, the deception, and then you have the design. Verse 15 goes on and he says, and after desire has conceived. And that is a term for a lady getting pregnant. So you are, you are at this point, you are pregnant with the temptation and it is just a matter of time before it gives birth. Okay, so as the baby grows in a mommy's tummy, so this temptation begins to grow. Your mind is convincing you to a greater and greater extent of why you need to do it. And this is in that area of will. This is where you begin to set aside any of the cautions, any of the barriers that you've placed up. This is where, this is where people who you've talked to in the past and they, and they say, hey, do you, do you have barriers in your life? Oh, I have barriers in my life. You know, I won't do this and I won't do that and I won't do this. And, and at this point, they, they, are, they have removed all the guardrails, all the barriers, all the protection. They're, it's gone. And now, it's just a matter of time. Okay? Again, when you make it into, faith, into step two, where you begin to rationalize and justify that, that is a very scary place to be. At this point, you're just waiting. It's like a mama giving birth, right? How far along are you? I'm eight months and one week, right? I mean, it's just a matter of time. And so now you're sitting and you're just waiting for the opportunity. You're just waiting for the opportunity. And as soon as that opportunity happens, then it leads into step number four, and that is disobedience, and that is the behavior disobedience, and the behavior in verse 15. And it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And we'll get to death in a moment. So at, the, at this point of the game, you, you have already crossed over. And you've already, now the act is taking place. It's already there. But what I want you to recognize is that sin starts in the emotions and the desires. Okay? Then it goes into deception, into your mind, and you begin to rationalize, you begin to justify, you begin to flirt with the idea. Okay? And at that point, you are pregnant, as James would say. The, 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 the sin is, is conceived. And now you're just waiting for that opportunity to, that lends itself for now the behavior. Okay? When my kids were younger and when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell 
the students and my kids, you only marry who you date. Is that true? Right? I don't know anybody that's like at Home Depot in the tile department, looks over to woman, woman who's in tile department, goes, woman. And she looks to man and says, man. Right? And they go to the county and get, a, get married. I don't know anybody like that. Maybe there is. <laughs> I'd love to know. Not now. Don't stand up. <laughs> right? When it comes to temptation, we want to flirt with it. Right? We want to flirt with it. We want to get as close as we can to the edge. And somehow we think that we're strong enough that, we won't over, that it won't overcome us. And the reality is, if you don't flirt with your weakness in area of temptation, then you will be less inclined to fall for it. So just as you marry who you date, you do not flirt with an area of your weakness because you will lose. You will lose. And so you have to be very cautious of that. Once the disobedient act takes place and it begins in the behavior then you have problems. Now, oftentimes in in situations like this, someone is going through it, they're being disobedient, right? And maybe they think they're getting away with it. And there may be a time where they are. And they sit back and they think, I'm smarter, quicker, faster, whatever it is, that it won't happen. But step five will take place. And that is death. Verse 15, and it gives birth to death. Now, what is death? Death is the opposite of life. And death is the opposite in this context to verse 12, which is the crown of life, the abundant life of the person who overcomes temptation. So they're not necessarily talking about physical death, but they're just talking about that death may take place, which is the opposite of of the abundant life in verse 12. So the temptation takes place. It's in the emotion. It's in the mind. It's in the will. It becomes a behavior. And then all of a sudden, at some point, if it isn't confessed and turned from, there will be consequences. Now there's going to be spiritual consequences and there's going to be uh, uh, outside outside consequences as well. We don't get to choose what the consequences are. That's up to God. Sometimes God, and I've watched it in, in people's lives, sometimes they've confessed, they got right to God, and there wasn't any consequences. Other times, there was. Now, unfortunately... We don't know. That's a God call, right? That's not. We don't get. We don't get a chance to share with God of what we think that's to take place. But if you allow it to go and you allow it to keep going, the deeper you get into, the worse the consequences are going to be. And then in verse 17, James has almost you would think like he lost his mind, like he had a moment, a senior moment in his writing, and he talks about temptation sin the destruction of it death and then in verse 17 he says and every good perfect gift comes from above and you're like wait a minute didn't you just say that if you're gonna die 
And now all of a sudden you're talking about everything that good and perfect comes from above, coming down from the Father of the, uh, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting, uh, shifting uh, shadows. And here he begins, and this is so crucial of understanding not only how temptation works, but how you overcome the temptation. Look with me in your outline. If temptation begins in inner thoughts, then changing what we think about is the key to overcome it. Okay? If temptation begins in the emotions, in the desires that we have, then changing what we're thinking about to overcome it is important. This is the principle of replacement, the key to overcoming temptation. So if you're going to overcome temptation, you are not going to resist it. Because what you resist will persist. What you resist will persist. And you know what the reason why? Because it's an inner desire that God has placed in you. You can't get rid of that. It's an inner desire that God has placed in you. And so the more that you resist it, it's just going to keep on pursuing you. But you change the way that you think. You do not focus on what you do not want to be. You focus on what you want to be. Too often we focus on what we don't want to be. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. I'm just like my dad. You focus on what you want to be in your life. And Paul would write this in, uh, in Philippians 4, one of the, my favorite verses. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is admirable and excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things things right now if a person is depressed now I don't mean clinically depressed because when you're clinically depressed it's kind of a, a balance issue it's a different kind of deal but let's say something happened bad in your life and you're depressed what people typically do is they dwell about that and they focus on it and it consumes them and they sit in the, in the couch and all it, it just consumes them and consumes them. And con- I should have done this. I could have done that. I should have said this. I should have been this. I da, 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 da. And it just consumes them. And it drives them deeper into despair. This verse says, why are you thinking that way? Why don't you think about the faithfulness of God? Why don't you think about that God will never leave you nor forsake you? Why don't you think about the blessings that he's given you. Why don't you think about those things instead of the stuff that just drives you deeper into despair? And temptation is the exact same thing. The more that you focus on it, the more it's going to get a hold of you and ultimately it's going to succeed in your life. And it's going to win, which leads to ultimately death. Okay? So it's like changing a channel. You sit there and watch a show you don't want to watch? No, thank God we have remotes. When I was a kid, we just had kids, right? And they just, my dad would say, get up and turn the channel. Click that one? No, click. Fortunately, there's only 10, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a good thing like now. It's like, no, let's try 749, 
right? So it's like, oh, yeah, there's only 10 channels, okay? And I don't know what that UFH, whatever it is. I have no idea what that means, right? But now we can click the channel. We can change it. We had a thousand channels. None of them are worth watching. But we still spend a hundred bucks a month on cable. Maybe that's a question we should ask. Second <laughs> oh. Corinthians says this: Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Right. So we capture our thoughts. We take it into obedience to Christ. All right. So we refocus our life. And so we're realistic, we're responsible, we're ready. We understand how it works in our emotions, our mind, our will, our behavior. And when we feel like it's getting there, we're not going to sit there and push back. We're going to change the channel. We're going to change the way that we're thinking. We're not going to focus on what we don't want to be, but we're going to focus on what we want to be in our life. And then step five is to be reborn. In verse 18, he says this. He says, he, uh, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the first, uh, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all his creation. And this is perhaps the most important one because unless you are born of the Spirit or born again and have a personal relationship with Christ, then you're going to be battling life in the flesh and you'll never succeed. But as believers, when we accept Christ in our life, the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, and as we sur- uh, su- surrender and submit to the Spirit of God in our life, then we are living not on our own fleshly p- power, but on the power of God living within us. And so if you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, you will constantly have problems. If you, do, if you have a personal relationship with Christ, it's still a battle, but as you surrender and as you submit to the Spirit of God, He will give us the strength that we need in our life. Now look with me in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And before I read it, let me just say this. Everyone says this, that God will never give you more than you can bear. That's in the Bible, right? And this is the verse that they come with. But it doesn't say that. Here's what it says. And God is faithful, and He will not let you be... Alright? So He's not talking about problems. He's talking about temptation. So he will, never give, he will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, what's the next word? He, right? He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Okay? Now back to responsibility. I just can't change, man. I mean, I tried. It, it just, this is just who I am. Baloney. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is not true. Now, here's what this verse means. That when it comes to temptation, God will allow, and we'll just use a number just as a weight thing to get it. Let's say that God will allow in your life, He doesn't cause, He allows. He allows 500 pounds of temptation on your life. He will give you the strength to handle 501 pounds. That's what that verse means. So regardless of how heavy it might be, He will always give you more strength to stand up under it in your life. So as temptation comes into our life and it feels like it's overwhelming us, 
spiritually speaking, he will always give us more strength than he is allowed into our life so that you are able to stand up under it the weight of the temptation. You are able to stand up under it. And it says in that verse that he always gives you a way out or a way of escape. There is always an escape route when it comes to temptation. But if we allow that desire, and then we get into step two, and we begin to rationalize and justify, we are not looking for an exit sign. We are looking for an enter sign. Aren't we? Because we've already figured out what we're going to say, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. And when we're in that place, we're, we're, in, we're in bad shape. So what are some resources? Then I'm just going to throw out two to keep it simple for you. A couple resources that you might need to fight temptation. One is fellowship with other believers. And I'm going to just put a little tag on the side of it. <clears throat> Accountability partner is only as good as you're being honest. Okay? You, you can build all kinds of safety and nets in you know, whether it be staffing or community groups or Bible study leaders, whatever it is, the reality is if someone was up to no good, they're going to find a way to find no good. Okay? But if you're honest and you, and you really care about being held accountable, then it's important that you have the, the support of other believers in and around your life. And then letter B in your outline is to study the Bible. And why I say that? For two reasons. One, if you don't know what the truth is, you'll have no idea what temptation you're heading into. And the Bible is what gives you the strength and the power. It's kind of the, the ammunition that the Spirit of God is going to give you into your life to overcome and to fight the temptations in which you're going through. Okay, so it's important that we, we, get, we get that. Now back to verse 12. Here's the payoff. Blessed. Happy. Filled with inner joy. Filled with with, with something inside of us that we know that's only from God is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the abundant life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Temptation, whether we're young or old, whether we're a new believer in Christ or whether we're a seasoned believer in Christ. Temptation is common to every single one of us. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Temptation will hit you as soon as you stand up and get ready to walk out the door. Because the enemy loves to render you harmless, to stuff you on his wall, and cause you to lose your testimony. He likes that. He can't steal you from the hand of God, but he can ruin your testimony about his saving grace and his life, uh, his, his love in your life. And so does he work on us? Every moment of every day, he will pursue you like a bloodhound, and he won't give up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather and to just uh, to be encouraged, to be enlightened from your word.
And Lord, certainly temptation is something that we all wrestle with on a regular basis. And perhaps, Father, there is someone here today who is, who is deep into a sinful behavior. And God, I pray that your spirit would speak to their heart. Lord, that you would lead them to repentance. That you would lead them to a change of heart and a change of direction in their life. Father, perhaps there's someone who's right up to the edge and they've rationalized and justified and they're just waiting for that opportunity. God, I pray that you will spare them. That you will set them free. That you'll move them away from that next step of disobedience. Lord, I know you love us. I know your desire is for us to have a testimony that will honor and glorify you. And Lord, I pray for each of us that we would have that kind of testimony. Lord, we pray for, uh, for Pastor Eric as he's away with his family, that you'll give him rest, you bring him back, uh, to come back and to serve to be a part of this team. We pray for our nation as we celebrate Independence Day. We pray for the, the, the leadership of, of our nation, whether it be at the federal level or even down to the city level. God, that you will give those leaders wisdom and discernment, uh, that they would seek you, and that we once again would become that God-fearing nation that you had built and he would bless in such a great way. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us, for the blessings you've given us. And as we give back to you a portion of what you blessed us with, God, we pray that you'll use it, you'll multiply it, that, Lord, we will be obedient uh, to your spirit. We will be wise stewards of all that you've entrusted to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. all right. Hey, so. Uh,